unlimited to me represent human possibilities. We are so creative. We can adapt to so much in life. We have evolved so much in life and we continue. Look at the technology that we are being surrounded with. Uh, the future to me is so exciting and unlimited means that we are ready to face whatever challenges come across and be able to find the beauty, the elegance, the, uh, the music in it. Hi, and welcome back to Unlimited, the podcast platform that gives voice to inspiring women from the Arab world and beyond to engage, empower, and drive growth. I'm your host, Daniela Rossi, and for this new episode of Unlimited Women's Brands, I'm honored to welcome Dr. Rim Tariq Imutwali, founder of the Dai Initiative, the region's first fashion history archive. Dr. Imutwali has dedicated most of her life, studies, and work to the preservation of Arab art and cultural heritage. With a PhD in Islamic art and archaeology, since her pioneering role at the Cultural Foundation in Abu Dhabi in the 80s, Reem has become a renowned expert in Islamic art and UAE heritage, which she advocates and celebrates with great passion and charm. I had the pleasure to meet Dr. Etmoali at the Italian Cultural Institute in Abu Dhabi for a presentation of the art of Arab dress, and her passion for the subject was so contagious that uh, it encouraged me right there and then to invite her to join us on Unlimited to share with us all her inspiring journey. So here she is today. Hi, Rim. Welcome to Unlimited. How do you do? Hello, my dear, and thank you so much for this lovely introduction. I'm very excited to meet your audience and to be able to hopefully excite them as much as we excited you to follow us. Well, let's start from your personal journey, from your Iraqi origins and family history, which is all a true testament to your legacy towards the Arabic culture. So tell us what fueled this close connection and attachment to the UAE in particular. I think we all as humans are the product of the experiences and the life that we lead. And, you know, fortunately, I have had an interesting and, and fascinating life. I, as you mentioned, originally I'm from Iraq. I came to the UAE and I grew up in the UAE because my father was invited by the late father of the nation, Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan al-Nahyan, to, to assist with the building of this new nation in the 1960s, so a long time ago. And I was privileged in the fact that I managed to witness the <clears throat> development of this nation and of this country. And we are today celebrating the 50th anniversary of the UAE, which is quite a milestone. So to be able to experience firsthand the changes that took place here, uh, you know, innately, it creates an archive within you as a person, because you're witnessing what is happening as you go along and you're experiencing it. Having said that, I went to school in England, so I lived in a very British life in a boarding school, and it was another exposure, another experience to be able to live and, and, and accommodate and evolve through that. And then from there, I went to university in USA, so that's a completely different world on its own. I became a naturalized Canadian, another step that is different. So I spent most of my life between, you know, 
jumping from one continent to the other and from one area to the other. And every time you meet somebody, they are fascinated and they want to know who you are. So indirectly, without you noticing it, you become an ambassador to the culture that you came from. And you tend to sort of defend each culture to the other. So there are so many beautiful things in Canadian culture, in American culture, in European culture, in Arab culture. And you see that people are very genuinely interested in getting to know so much about each other. And once they know something about each other, they become very close. And you know, all the barriers drop down and we realize that we are all the same and we have so much in common. And that's what drove me to uh, trying to find a medium through which we can have a dialogue, an interesting medium that we can have a dialogue through it in order to show our shared humanity. And that's how you launched uh, three years ago, the Zai Initiative, a passion project that very quickly became a fully fledged uh, digital platform. But I know that it's so much more than this. So what is the essence of this project and what does it represent to you? Well, it's, uh, as you said, and again, I repeat, life is so fascinating because it affords you opportunities and it sort of directs you without you knowing where you're going in a way. As much as you plan, you end up doing something that you never really thought about doing. My life is in is interior design. It's in architecture. It is in archaeology, in history. Uh, this is the line that I've chosen and I've been involved in and uh, was actively working with it within the art field and so on. But with time, uh, I found myself the custodian of a collection that grew, you know, organically. Uh, and I began to think of ways that we can make use of this collection. So what we do actually through the Zay, we have a collection, we collect the tangible to narrate the intangible, which is a lovely statement because what we do is all this collection that we've got is donated. We ask people, we reach out to people through social media, through our platforms and so on and so forth. And we, we appeal to them to send us an article of clothing that belonged to their grandmother, grandfather, aunt, mother, father, brother, anyone that they like. And with it, we, we ask for the story of the person who wore it or who made it. What makes this article of clothing so special? So we use the dress or the adornment, the, the, the jewelry or the dress or the articles of clothing that are donated to us as a tool to open up the story and to narrate the history of a particular person, an individual, whereby we are creating an archive and it's a digital archive, which was interesting because we tried to get, uh, you know, we tried to use again, tools that are now available to us as humans, this technology, we're trying to make use of it by try, uh, putting this collection onto a digital platform which allowed us to reach out to the world, especially now that we have COVID. I mean, COVID has helped us. We are the few of those who benefited from the situation at COVID in a way, because it allowed us an exposure to the rest of the world. It connected us through this digital platform. And um, by placing this collection, we are, in three, three years, we managed to compile about 1,800 
articles of clothing, which is interesting, you know, it's lovely. And uh, we have about maybe 200 of those digitally now up on, uh, on our digital platform. And every week we add a few and we write about them and we write the narratives of the people who gave it to us when, when we have that, you know, when it is available. And it created a, a, a wonderful uh, medium for people to, to sort of like open up a window to the Arab world from their homes, from their you know, intimate uh, um, surroundings to be able to have a look at, especially when you look at the Arab world, many people think that we are cladded, especially the women, we are cladded in black. But actually in reality, when you look at our website and when you look at these dresses and these ornaments, you see so much color, so much vibrance, so much life, vitality. And it's, it's just a wonderful way of learning about the culture and connecting with it. And what happened is, again, organically, as we started publishing these pieces on our website, we began to realize that we are dealing, and I don't know if your audience would know that or not, but the Arab world is composed of about 22 countries. So they are varied. They have similarities and they have differences. We have different ethnicities. We have Kurds, we have Amazir, we have Armenians, we have all kinds of religions. We have Jews, we have Christians, we have Coptics, we have Muslims, and so on and so forth. So the Arab world is like a melting pot of so many ethnicities and so many backgrounds and histories and nationality, uh, sorry, religions, that many people tend to, you know, put us in one box and think of us as being all the same, but we are not. Not all Arabs are Muslims, not all Muslims are Arabs. And that is a distinction that not many people know really. And through this, uh, we realized that we have terminology and words that are similar and different at the same time. So we ended up having to work on a digital dictionary that augments our collection. So when you go and look at the collection, you see beautiful images, you see a wonderful description, but at the same time, you, are ha uh, you can use the pop-up uh, dictionary, which appears as you hover around you with your mouse, and you can read the meaning of the term, how it came about. And in Arabic language, it's really fascinating because Every term that you have came from a function of some sort. And it's really fascinating to be able to learn these um, anecdotes and these backgrounds and this history of the terminology itself. Uh, we, we published in Arabic and English, so people can read in Arabic and can read in English. Uh, our objective to do other languages, but we have to start small and grow. Uh, funding is our issue, major issue. We need so much support in order to be able to present uh, academically sound research and information up there. So we're taking it easy one step at a time, but it is, it's a learning experience even for us as individuals working on this. Most of our team are volunteers, people who are passionate about the subject and would like to work with us and help. So we even with our team, we are located in different places of the world. And this is what is wonderful about life 
today as we live it. So we've got people who work with us from Canada, from USA, from Egypt, from India, uh, Europe, and so on and so forth. Even Australia, even South America, we've got people connected with us. So we have been able to connect with so many people while being in one location, you know, uh, which is amazing. Of course, having said that, we are also actively engaged in exhibitions, real time or real life exhibitions. We are going, we have uh, succeeded, which is an, an amazing milestone. As you know, we are in Dubai now hosting the Expo 2020. Yeah, so we managed to be showcasing, even though we are so young, to be there and present with an exhibition that represents the UAE, since we are in the UAE, and it shows women empowerment through, we call it Draped in Heritage, and it's an exhibition whereby we photographed about 20 trailblazing UAE women, but we draped them in all the old dresses that we've got. Mm -hmm. So they carry the spirits of their mothers and the women that came before them as they look to the future. And I think it's a beautiful symbolism to show the energy that is taking place here in the UAE. And we are very fortunate that we have made a legacy for ourselves, even at a short span of time, where we are part and parcel of the first ever expo to take place in an Arab country. I feel that's quite an honor, quite an achievement, and it's, it's, it required a lot of dedication and hard work, but it's worth it. Reem, I didn't tell you yet, but I actually went to have a sneak peek at your exhibition in the Dubai Expo just a few days ago after attending an event at the Women's Pavilion. And yes, it is indeed beautiful and very meaningful, your decision to feature young, modern and empowered Emirati women wearing bright, colourful but traditional garments. And this is a point where there are still so many misconceptions and where it's important to promote knowledge and awareness, which is one of the aim of our podcast and your platform. So for clarity to those who are listening from outside the UAE or are not familiar with, uh, with certain terminology, can you explain the meaning and the differences or similarities in between, for instance, Burka, Abaya, Angelabia? Well, such a lovely question. Thank you very much. It's wonderful. Yes, you are very right. First of all, knowledge is very important. And I think the only way that we can clear any misconceptions about the Arab world as a whole and lighten, uh, enlighten others about the Arab culture is by knowledge. And knowledge goes both ways, in and out. Uh, as much as we need to be informing others about us as much as we need to learn about the others and see how we can connect, find points where we all can connect and share. And as far as terminology is concerned, let me start with, for example, the burga. The burga is actually the Arabic term for uh, the mask, the face mask generally. A burga in Arabic, it means to cover to conceal. So this object conceals the face of a woman, generally, and you have different forms of burgas all across the Arab world, and they vary from one area to the other. 
And if they are in one area, they even vary in style and design based on a tribe or based on a community. And it goes further deeper and it varies according to the individuality of the woman. Believe it or not, a burga can be a fashion statement. It can be a status statement because many of the burgas in the Arab world are adorned with coins, either silver or gold. So the more silver or more gold on it, it means that woman is wealthier. So the way you would wear a senior or a, or a branded eyeglasses or handbag in the West, you would wear a more decorative and, you know, gold or uh, ornamented burga in here, in these areas, in the Bedouin areas, and it shows your status and where you are. It's also a way for a woman to carry her wealth on herself. Remember in the old days, the women were the uh, most, most of the Arab world is composed of um, nomadic people as well as urban people. Now, the nomadic uh, version of the Arab world, they carry all their belongings on themselves as they move around. So if your burga has all your gold on it, you're carrying your bank with you. Like the card of the old days. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So when you look at things in this format, you really understand why people tend to, uh, you know, adhere to these because it is important. They create. They have a function. At the same time, you have the burga is usually dipped in the indigo dye, and that's why it becomes this dark colored, bluish, brownish, uh, magenta colors. You know, variations of that hue. Now the indigo dye has medicinal properties and in a harsh climate such as the desert, when you are very dry, the weather is very dry, the sun is very strong, the burga helps protect your face and at the same time, it helps to moisturize your face. It gives you um, med medicinal uh, um, benefits because it helps cure so many of the ailments that might have skin ailments that a person might have. People don't understand that. They don't see that. They see it somehow as a method of subjugation mm -hmm. or a method of um, suppression. But when you look at it in a different format, and I think a lot of us can relate today because we all had to wear a mask for medicinal reasons, for health reasons. So when you all experience, we've all experienced wearing a mask. I think we can now look beyond the um, exterior part of it and look into the functions. And I'm sure these women used it for a specific function. Having said that, it doesn't mean that women have achieved all their goals yeah. of emancipation, of empowerment. And we have a long way to go, but we also have a long way to go as women all around the world, not only just in the Arab world, you know? So we have obstacles and we have so much to do and so much work to be done. And we, need, we have many rights that we need to obtain, but we get it through knowledge and through education and through hard work. And this is happening as we go along. And you see a wonderful example of it taking place in the UAE through the empowerment of women that's taking place, uh, be it on an um, individual or a governmental uh, or a public 
platform. This is one article of clothing. Another article of clothing that always stirs up a lot of controversy and is related sort of to the burqa is the abaya. The abaya is actually an outer cloak, an outer garment. So the abaya is something that conceals the body when a woman or a man is in public. The abaya also is a status symbol because abayas usually uh, tend to be uh, created from a goat or camel uh, wool and it is uh, embroidered and adorned with uh, gold or silver plated uh, straw that is uh, that decorates the neckline of the abaya. So not everyone can own an abaya. So people who own an abaya, it means they are from the higher echelons of society. And usually in earlier times, only the wealthy, the sheikhs, the royalty, the merchants, wealthy merchants would be able to afford to have an abaya. And what used to happen before is that at special occasions, weddings, celebrations, and so on and so forth, those who were wealthy would loan their abayas to those who could not afford. And it created a sort of social cohesion among the tribe, among the society. Again, we are using the function of this article of clothing to create bridges between a community, which people don't tend to see nowadays and don't understand. But there are so many connotations that used to exist that helped develop or evolve this piece of clothing. With time and with extreme wealth that took place now among the Arab world, everybody could afford the abaya. Everybody can wear one now. And it went through so many uh, stages of evolution and the function of it began to change. So it's no longer just a status symbol, but now with this exposure to the rest of the world, you see the Arab world, and especially when you look at Dubai, there are hundreds of nationalities, hundreds of people coming in. So the indigenous people need, required an object that helps identify them among all these nationalities that are coming into the country. And what better than an outer cloak that you wear in public to use to identify yourself. And it became associated with identity, with nationalism, with a sense of belonging, pride of a nation. But at the same time, it evolved because that huge, large, over-engulfing article of clothing had to be tapered down. It started to have sleeves. It became uh, stylized in a different format because men, be, uh, men and women began to drive cars. Uh, they use computers. You cannot function with something that is covering your whole body. You need your arms to work. And also exposure to the rest of the world has afforded us with so many opportunities and examples to, to borrow from and to emulate and to incorporate into the design and into the individuality that takes place within each article of clothing. So it evolved. Today, we are seeing the introduction of color into the outer cloak. By the way, uh, many people ask and always ask, why is it black? 
And uh, I must uh, explain because I think it's very interesting. When you go back and you research, remember I told you that most of the uh, fabrics in the olden days you used to be dyed with different natural materials. And the black color or the dark indigo color was one of the most expensive colors that you can achieve. So people ended up trying to uh, dye their clothing with this indigo to show status, again, to show that they are wealthy, they can afford to have the indigo dye into their fabrics. At the same time, the darker color helped protect the body, helped, it is easier to take care of because it doesn't stain. If you are wearing white, it, is, it stains very easily, but the black color can withhold more uh, usage and so on and so forth. And many dyed their clothing with this color, with this dark. It was variations of blues, indigos, you know, in different shades. But with the advent of industrialization at the beginning of the 20, 19th and 20th century and the production of fabrics in the West, they saw the black, so they started producing black color and eventually importing the fabrics from outside uh, um, rather than dyeing them and making them within the areas of the Arab world introduce this dark black color into it. Today, it is changing again because these women are beginning to understand that their culture can be very colorful. I mean, you see the same form of abaya in North Africa, but it is in white. Algerians, the Moroccans, they use the haik, the Tunisians, it's, they call it a haik, it's a different name. It's a sort of similar format of an article of clothing. And it is traditionally in white rather than in black. So these variation takes place due to this locale, due to the time period, and due, due to the commercial and religious influences that are working within the, that period of time. It's fascinating, Rima. I know that you could go on and on as there's an entire story behind each piece and such a deep meaning behind each word. It's a shame that somehow these meanings have gone lost. What about uh, the craftsmanship that was um, needed to create these embroidered and embellished garments or piece of clothing? In the fast-paced new era with mass-produced garments, are these uh, artisan skill set uh, still alive or will they also get lost with the new generations? Very much so. The Arab world can be sort of uh, divided into the old cities such as Baghdad, Damascus, Cairo, and so on and so forth, and the newer uh, Gulf states, um, oil-rich states that are developing now, nations that are becoming uh, involved in the public arena and internationally. So in sadly, in the old cities, the, the craftsmanships, the industry that created these articles of clothing is dying out. As you mentioned, these, th these require time, energy, skill, which is decreasing. And mass production is taking over. It's much easier to go, to go and buy the imitation of a specific kind of work from uh, China or anywhere else than to have the, the hours of manpower that will require to produce a yard of one kind of um, adornment uh, or the other. 
Yet at the same time, we are seeing that areas like, for example, uh, to give an example, Morocco. Morocco continue to produce the, their traditional clothing. They continue to wear their kaftan. They continue to have the skilled uh, labor force that can create all of that. And they are actively trying to assert their national identity through their clothing and through the dress culture. The same is beginning to happen in the Arab Gulf region, whereby they are quickly noticing that this is very important to uh, sustain these crafts, to sustain that type of culture. And they are working actively to do so. And this is where we we come as the academic and uh, advisory board that can help, uh, how can I say, sustain the, the craftsmanship and make it available for these creative minds, for designers, for young designers, and so on and so forth, to, uh, to be able to get, uh, to use the knowledge that we have to ground themselves with their history and with their culture. Interestingly enough, so many Arabs are becoming part and parcel of di diaspora because of the wars and dispersal of human all around the world because of what's happening in the older centers of the Arab world, such as Iraq and, and Syria and so on and so forth. And these young people who are growing in new continents are beginning to find their roots through this connection as well. So we are not only introducing this culture and sustaining it for an international exposure who is interested in getting to know us or to know the Arab world, but we are saving this culture for the indigenous people who are no longer part of this locale and this area. Uh, they are nostalgic to, to, to learn about their roots, about their backgrounds, our, about their identities, where they came from, as they face their new life across the world. I think the world is changing and we're going to all become, you know, uh, citizens of the world, as they say. And we need to be grounded with our history, with our heritage in order to be able to face our future. A future that we need to face uh, together, right? A strong of our legacy, but respectful of each other's heritage. And that starts by understanding one another. We need to learn to exist with one another. We need to understand that we have a shared uh, future that we need to protect. Look at us, we're all joined together now in trying to save the environment, to save our, uh, our planet. And we, we need to be engaged together. And in order to engage together, we need to know each other. And to know each other, we need to be enlightened. And enlightenment only comes through education and knowledge. Look where this conversation led us. We started from chatting about uh, dresses, which can be something pretty ordinary, let's admit it. But it led us somewhere quite extraordinary. We speak volumes about who we are, where we came from, what we think, how we behave, through what we are wearing. And we don't really, at the same time, we don't realize how much information we are giving about ourselves through this simple act of getting up every morning and getting dressed. When you think about it this way, it gives it a completely different perspective, doesn't it? We say so much without even saying a word. 
And people don't think of that because I always get this question, why dress? What's the big deal about dress? It is a big deal. It reflects so many things, socioeconomic, religious, political, gender, you name it. You can read it through what you are wearing and what the other person in front of you is wearing. And we do it unconsciously and we do it every day. And everybody's doing it, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of age. And we want to be appealing to everybody, especially the young, because they are the future. If we can inspire them, then we are doing our job correctly. And to inspire them, we need to go to them, to, to go to them rather than wait for them to come to us. So not only do you experience the exhibitions in real life, but also for those who are not around and cannot be in the UAE, they can go through our website and they can visualize all these and see all these exhibits and learn about all these women as well as what they are wearing and the stories of the people who made or wore these pieces through our digital archive at the same time. So it all works hand in hand. In a way, it's all woven, if I want to use that expression, in one cloth, one way or the other, to to give the overall. And what we say is we are trying to save Arab legacy one stitch at a time. And this is what we're trying to do. <laughs> I know. That's a nice one, Reem. I think I'll use it as title for this episode. Saving Arab legacy one stitch at a time. And now tell us what's next, because I see that even to preserve this legacy, you have to always move forward. So what's your next big project for the year ahead? Uh, we are preparing for an exhibition with the Smithsonian in the United States coming up hopefully this summer. Uh, we are working on another exhibition in Houston, Texas. Uh, we are working with different entities. We're trying to set up something in the UK soon as well. The opportunities are endless and we welcome anyone who is interested in working with us and hosting us. We are here. We are ready and we are willing to give it all our best to be there. Well, these endless opportunities naturally take me to what I like to call our paramount question. So tell me, Reem, what does unlimited mean to you? Unlimited to me represents human possibilities. We are so creative. We can adapt to so much in life. We have evolved so much in life and we continue. Look at the technology that we are being surrounded with. Uh, the future, to me, is so exciting and unlimited means that we are ready to face whatever challenges come across and be able to find the beauty, the elegance, the, uh, the music in it. Thank you, Reem. Thank you for your fascinating words and for your fascinating projects. I wish you all the very best for your upcoming events, virtual and on-site, and I invite everyone to join and connect to support you however possible. Thank you so much for affording us this opportunity. I look forward to those who will visit, and those who can't visit, they can go to our website, www.bizay.org, and follow us through there. Become our friend, support us in any way you can. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed discovering the person, the story, and the vision behind the brand. Now it's your turn. 
We'd love to hear from you. Please share your comments or questions on our social media pages on Instagram at unlimited.me and LinkedIn at unlimited platform. And don't forget to leave a review. Best in last, if you'd love to share your story, please connect with us on our website, www.unlimited.me. We're always on the hunt for inspiring stories of unlimited women, and you could be the next one.